What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to another edition of Primetime with Sean Mooney, Network Classics. And uh, as you know, we... Uh, you know, take uh, one of the old programs uh, during the early days of the WWF, uh, WWE, and uh, we watch it. And I add my commentary. I tell you about uh, what was happening back then. I tell you uh, what I remember. Um, these episodes, some of these are, are before my time, especially this one today was a couple of years before. And it is the, uh, the episode of WWF Tuesday Night Titans from January 25th, 1980. And this one is, uh, let's say, very entertaining. You know, I always uh, say they're so bad, they're good. And this is definitely right there. Um, it is, uh, keep in mind, now this is a few, me- a few months before WrestleMania 1, the first WrestleMania ever. Uh, this is in January. And of course, uh, that would happen at the end of March in 1985. So there's a lot going on with the World Wrestling Federation. You've got a lot of these superstars emerging. Uh, They're getting an awful lot of attention. Um, you know, rock and wrestling is going on with MTV and uh, Lou Albano's out there with, uh, you know, they're just getting started. Wendy Richter and it's all brewing. We're all getting to the point where uh, the WWF is about to explode in the world. It's about to become mainstream. Uh, but that doesn't stop... Uh, the WWF from putting together a program like this that, um, well, <laughs> it's, it contains a lot of cringe television, which uh, a lot of people love. Um, and uh, so, as, as I mentioned, this is a, an episode of Tuesday Night Titans, and there's a lot going on. 
I think I mentioned that. Uh, let's just give you the quick show rundown first. Um, you know, Vince and uh, Vince is the host, and uh, Lord Alfred Hayes uh, is his sidekick. And on this episode, they're going to have Big John Studd along with Ken Patera, and they bring uh, Bobby Heenan, who is the manager. He's their manager at the time. And uh, he is going to, they're, they're talking about this uh, recent encounter that happened with Andre the Giant, where uh, Ken Patera and Big John Studd cut Andre's hair as they continue this feud and this ongoing, ongoing st- storyline. And then, uh, so Bobby comes on, and this is early. You know, this is Bobby Heenan uh, really coming into his own. Uh, he, he arrived at the WWF very talented, but then he started to, you know, you could really just start to see how uh, he was just going to, you know, take off as the premier manager and remain that way in the history of the WWF. But, so it's fun to see some of this early stuff with him. And uh, the backstory on that is that when Bobby came in, uh, he was supposed to manage um, Jesse the Body Ventura who they were going to work a big angle with Jesse and Hulk Hogan. And um, Jesse developed uh, blood clots in his lungs. And this was where, you know, he was pretty much uh, winding down where he was making this transition from being a wrestler to becoming an announcer, which we'll get into, which I I enjoyed watching him on this show because it's early Jesse before he really... Uh, you know, found his his zone, got into a stride of being an announcer. You can you can see it very vividly here, but we'll get into that as we get into the show. But you're going to see it, and um, so they do a whole thing where they're uh, talking about how they cut Andre's hair, and one of the gimmicks, the little bit they're going to do in here to push the storyline is they bring in some some goofball that they're going to from the crowd, and they're going to cut his hair, and that segment is just. Oh, boy. Uh, lots of cringing in that one. And uh, then they do, they, they go to, a, it's a vignette of Hillbilly Jim. Now, Hillbilly Jim, uh, also at the time, this was somebody else that they were really hoping to push with. Uh, remember, they team up with Hulk Hogan and, and, you know, the Hulkster, anything he touched at that point turned to gold. I mean, he was just able to put people over. And, and uh, Hillbilly was really, that, he looked like he was going to have a really great ride here. And then if you remember, he, just as this started to go, uh, he injured his knee, took a fall at ringside, and it put it laid him up for a, a while. Uh, and that's when they ran that, you know, they wanted to keep the hillbilly uh, gimmick going. So that's when they brought in Uncle Elmer and the other cast of characters. But it just never really was ever the same again for Hillbilly Jim after that initial, uh, you know, crest of that wave. Uh, they have a uh, aftermath of the wedding. They'd had a wedding on uh, TNT with uh, the butcher, Paul Vachon, uh, comes onto the set to talk about uh, another wedding gone wrong because, you know, we remember we'd had, there was also another one with the, the hillbillies when Uncle Elmer got married. But this is another one they do, and, and the whole thing is uh, George the Animal Steel just going nuts on during the whole wedding ceremony. <laughs> it's just... It's just, uh, that's a crazy uh, segment. And uh, and then they bring Jesse on, as I mentioned, as he, he comes on. And uh, they show some highlights, which is really, I, I really thought this was a gem that you find inside this uh, this episode. Is there's a match in this with Jesse Ventura uh, taking on uh, Steve Lombardi, who, you know, of course, would become uh, the Brooklyn Brawler. But, uh, you know, enhancement talent to the stars is uh, what... Uh, 
uh, Steve was. And, and it's a match here with him and Jesse. But what's really cool in it, in this matchup, is that uh, doing the play-by-play is Vince McMahon and Mean Gene Okerlund. Now, I knew that Gene had done some play-by-play uh, prior to my arrival, but I'd never heard it. I've never heard any of Gene's play-by-play before. And we had a few discussions along the way where uh, Vince didn't like Gene doing play-by-play for some reason. And from what I heard here, he was fine. And of course, you know, Gene's voice, he's got a classic voice. And from what I heard in this match, he was, he was good. He was fine. But for whatever reason, Vince didn't like him doing play-by-play. And of course, he was a tremendous stick man. So uh, he certainly uh, didn't hurt that he took that role on as his primary role. But it's interesting to note that, that Gene never really got to do play-by-play. Uh, much I know he never did it when I was there and uh, Vince didn't like me doing play-by-play either I don't for whatever reason so uh, I just think it's really interesting I just thought it was awesome to hear Gene doing play-by-play and you're going to hear that coming up as well Um, I want to uh, thank our sources here Uh, this one coming from uh, f4wonline.com some of the wrestling observer of course and uh uh, the notes for the show that uh, we've got here. And then also, once again, David Porty, who is a uh, an awesome source. And uh, I love getting his input. And I want to thank him once again. So I'll be, um, you know, uh, mentioning different uh, insight that he's given us. But uh, uh, one of the things that uh, he mentioned, one of the first things he says in his notes is that, uh, that I should talk about the original theme song um, on the uh WWE Network, they've they've changed the music. Uh, the YouTube video that he he sent me a YouTube video with the original music that they had with um, TNT, and I don't know if it was if it was a, a, a Herb Albert. Um, remember Herb Albert? Uh, you know the the uh, uh, you know the music Tijuana Brass, and um, he uh, had, they used one of his songs, and and uh, David points out here. And I, I uh, remember, you know, that they did, uh, they would use, you know, original music from some of these artists. And I think what happened was they started, you know, calling them on it and saying, you can't do that without paying us. And I imagine even then it was expensive to use original music. Uh, they used stuff, you know, like from uh, Van Halen, he mentions here, Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston, Gloria Estefan, and a bunch of others. So uh, I imagine using Herb Alpert's uh, stuff didn't go over well either. So they would uh, they would change that music out not, uh, shortly after that. Um, they uh, they had you know primetime wrestling was on, was on at the same time here because Vince mentions it in the sh- in this show in particular, but it was really I don't they didn't really know what the hell they were doing with that one and I think Jesse was hosting it uh, at one point with uh, Jack Reynolds who was an announcer that they used back then. So uh, that that was uh, that's an interesting part of it to to, to see the transition because uh, I think that they would eventually bring in because they would relaunch it and uh, you know go to that uh, you know that setup with um, you know these uh, these different people to try and find the right mix and eventually you know, they bring Gorilla Monsoon in and then of course Bobby would be matched up with with Gorilla and the rest is history as uh, they became. Not just uh, you know f- so well known 
for their interactions on primetime wrestling, but also, uh, you know, at doing play-by-play together. I mean, they were just phenomenal. But it's uh, interesting to see, you know, uh, over the years, all the different pairings of people uh, that they would uh, use to try and figure out what would work. Um, you know, I, I remember when I had the great fortune to host that studio audience show of primetime wrestling with Bobby. Um, they they had brought different people in and, uh, you know, some of them didn't work out so well. And I remember they brought Gene in and I think that uh, it worked out better for me because I lived in Stanford. You know, Gene lived down in, in, uh, in Florida. So, uh, you know, in many cases, I would get gigs uh, because I was there and they could have me available at any time to do stuff that whatever they needed. So uh, it was to my great advantage that I got a chance to host that because I, that was just uh, that helped me out so much in developing as a talent. But, uh, you know, they went through a lot of different people. You look at some of these shows and it's just fun to see all the different people they brought in. There's. You know, Gene hosted uh, a bunch of those uh, TNTs when Vince wasn't available or didn't feel like doing it, and uh, you know he kind of he kind of approached it from uh, you know like like a, a Johnny Carson kind of point. They they, they did uh, where he comes out and there's an entrance, and I thought he was going to do a monologue, but he didn't. Uh, there was an episode that uh, with Macho Man Randy Savage and Elizabeth, so uh, it's it's just fun to see this stuff, and it's it's just. God, the, as I mentioned, it's so it's so bad. It's good, and and uh, as we get into this, uh, we'll we'll talk a lot more about it as it happens. Um, you know, as I mentioned, Paul Vachon, the butcher, is on this, and uh, you remember his his brother, Mad Dog, uh, who was notorious. You hear stories about him and uh, just how insane that guy was. But they team, you know, they were uh, tag team partners, and. Uh, uh, you know, that whole family, very well known. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, Hillbilly Jim's on this one. And then, of course, Jesse. So there's a lot going on in this episode. So what do you say we get to it? All right. So I hope during this whole process, as I've been uh, yammering on here, that you have uh, were already queued up or you're ready to do it. Uh, you you or were in the process of doing it. So if you haven't, as of yet, uh, what you want to do is go to the WWE Network. You go to the in-ring, and then you go to the uh, features uh, section there, and you just kind of scroll over until you get to uh, TNT, Tuesday Night Titans. Then you click on that, and then it has this uh, uh, a little drop-down there that uh, like says latest or whatever, and then it'll give you an opportunity to click on a year. And so you would click on 1985 and go all the way down to the bottom of the page, you scroll all the way down, and it's about, it's uh, like the third episode up uh, that uh, you'll see. It's with them, I think the icon there, the, the shot they have there is them giving this guy a haircut. And uh, boy, that that's a, just a crazy-ass scene, too. And of course, the, you know, it's all about humiliation, which they do very well with this <laughs> All right? So I think with that, we're going to go ahead and uh, get moving on this. But uh, it, it's just... Uh, it's it's a period of time when the the WWF is is just kind of coming into its own here. One uh, we know that once March rolled around in '85, that things would really take off because WrestleMania would happen, and then it was uh, you know off to the races. But here you just see them experimenting with a lot of different things going on, and they haven't made that transition yet to. Um, 
to Stanford. They haven't moved up to Connecticut. They're still doing production out of uh, Baltimore, that Video One facilities. And as you can imagine, uh, this is when, you know, the, the uh, WWF superstars were doing, you know, many, many, many dates. They were on the road, you know, God, I think they talk about some of these guys doing 300 dates a year, 300 days a year. That's that's crazy uh, to think about your entire year. You've got 65 days off, and probably when you added it all up, uh, you know, a, a good third of that was traveling, getting back and forth to wherever you live to see your family, and then you've got how many days that you're actually home. And then to on, on top of this, for them, you know, to have to go to Baltimore, to do these tapings must have been uh, really exhaustive, but uh, that's the way it worked then. Uh, shortly after, within the next you know uh, couple of years, that's when they they build that tremendous facility in Stanford on Hamilton Avenue, which still exists to this day. It's uh, they have a lot of different facilities now there. It's not just Hamilton, but that's where they built that first. You know, it was a state of the art at the time. And that's where all the production was done. And I, I've, I've mentioned before that, you know, they have the, uh, they had Edit One there. They had two basic Edit Suites, but they had one big room. It was Edit One, and that's where Kevin Dunn uh, worked and, uh, you know, the other people that were a, a part of that production team. And we had one big studio there, and that's where I shot the, the event center, and uh, that's where they would also shoot primetime, and that's where they would shoot the opens for... Uh, superstars and challenge and whatever else we had going on but it was just this one big giant room and that was that was where everything was done and we were you know pretty much a small company then it wasn't uh large there was uh you know as i i've I've often talked about it and said you know it was camelot um you know where we had this uh, small community and stanford it wasn't this you know very tiny city but for us it was a small community but remember, you know, it was Camelot, but at the same time, it's still a kingdom and you have a king. So uh, sometimes it, it wears on you because it was that small community. They, everybody knew what you were doing. These days, man, that, that corporation is just gigantic. Uh, you hear people talk about when you go to these uh, live events now, these TV tapings, there's you know massive number of these tractor trailers out there and people with their buses. And it's just, it's, it's just a gigantic circus. It's just... Nothing like what it was back in the day. That's why it's fun to go back and and look at uh, shows like this. So with that, uh, what do you say? We we roll it. Uh, Now you absolutely have to be queued up, but we will take a quick pause. And then when we come back, we will get the countdown, okay? So if you're not queued up yet, make sure you're queued up right now. Here's the pause. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we're back. Good. So, I know you're all ready to go, and you know how it works. Three, two, one, play, and then we go. Okay? All right, here it is. Three, two, one, play. Oh, yeah. And that's uh, the house band, I think, is what we're hearing as we start this out. And there, there's the Pac-Man graphics that uh, that were so, so well. They were state-of-the-art then, man. That was big time. T and... T, which is not uh, does not stand for Turner Network Television. It stands for Tuesday Night Titans. Exactly. Okay, and then uh, the Ed McMahon of this program, my uh, my beloved Lord Alfred Hayes, is doing an announcement here, but you can barely hear him. The mix is awful. You can hear the music really well, but you can hardly hear Alfred as he introduced all the guests that are going to be there. And uh, as I mentioned, he talks about who's going to be there. Ken Patera with uh, Big John Stud, Bobby Heenan. And remember, there's Vince in a very, very purple suit. And that's when he was really into the, uh, the three-piece suit. Uh, and he had, a, he had uh, every color of the rainbow, folks. Uh, I'm not kidding. He did. Uh, he had uh, yellow, uh, red, uh, he had orange. I mean, he and he would wear these. That's every time he saw him, he had these three-piece suits on, with the matching uh, with the tie with the uh, the pocket kerchief, and his lordship, always in a tuxedo. He loved wearing a tuxedo. Lordship loved wearing the tuxedo. And as I'm, you know, I talked about Bobby Heenan, uh, you know. Relatively new to the the WWF, and uh, you'll see. Uh, I love seeing everybody in this, especially this show here. I, I found uh, you know really interesting because you see Bobby still. I mean, he's great, but he's not going to be. He's not near as good as he would become. And then also, you know, people like Jesse Ventura too. The same thing, but uh, you'll see that later in the program. So Vince is talking here about uh, this recent encounter with Andre the Giant, who had teamed up with uh, S.D. Jones, who at this time was pretty much a glorified jobber, and people couldn't really understand why Andre was was hooking up with him, why why he didn't you know team up with somebody else like Junkyard Dog or 
or somebody like that. Well, they had this encounter where, uh, you know, Heenan's, of course, uh, at ringside with these guys and uh, Patera, and they end up uh, Stud and Patera double-teaming Andre and knocking him out and then cutting his hair. The giant's hair had been been trimmed uh, dramatically. Uh, SD had been knocked out as well. And uh, Andre's still out. He's just coming to and will discover that his locks have been chopped off. And they're going to draw this out uh, a lot as uh, Andre sells it. And, and, you know, listen to this crowd, man. It was uh, pretty. And I think we just got a quick shot. I think that was the bowl cut kid. <laughs> that kid go to every event. And what, how did he get such great seats? But anyway, we see Andre coming here, coming too. And uh, S.D. Jones is uh, going to, uh, you know, try and explain to Andre what happened as he's as he goes on here. Say and he's um yeah yeah uh your hair's gone uh you know they're cutting your hair yeah they did this to you it's not looking good there Andre uh, it's you know uh, this yeah they they did yeah look at it. and he's like comes to here and uh it, lo- it looks like they only got one side though it's as you're gonna see here <laughs> they didn't exactly look for balance yeah there you go so. There they are, the locks of Andre the Giant, who people I'm sure would have loved to have gotten hold of. Imagine what that would have been worth on eBay, even though eBay wasn't a thing then. But as uh, Andre heads back into the locker room, interesting line here that Vince says that, that you, you've just witnessed the, the raping of Andre the Giant's dignity. Uh, an interesting choice of words from, from Vince. <laughs> just... And I, I'm, this is a really strange replay because he's holding him and they're tr- they're showing them cutting the hair, but it's just kind of a bizarre. Here. The raping of a giant's dignity. Okay. So they get back here. We're back in studio. And lots of, lots of uh, purple tones here. Uh, Alfred's. Tuxedo looks, is that lavender? I'm not quite sure what his color is he's got going there. But that's when, back then, you know, you could have uh, any wild color of tuxedo. It was a very popular thing. It was like like going to the prom. As they take a quick time out here, and the uh, very, very, very basic uh, effects that were uh, used at the time, we're talking 1985. My, how they have changed. And there's that wonderful band. And boy, are they uh, snappy dressers, huh? There's more purple. We got more purple going. Lots of purple on this show. As uh, Vince introduces the uh, trio of Bobby Heenan, Ken Patera, and, of course, Big John Stutt, who uh, Andre the Giant was not very fond of. For, as you can imagine, we've talked about before, why do you think Andre wasn't really fond of Big John Stutt? Because he didn't like having other giants around. He wanted to be the only giant in town. And I don't think Big John Studd helped himself. And once Andre decided he didn't like you, man, that was it. He didn't like you. And uh, it was really tough to get past that. Uh, And uh, as he would talk about, uh, those matches were just torture for Big John Studd when he was in the ring. 
Okay, so here's Bobby. And Bobby's talking about how he's going to make some noise when he came in. And, you know, he's he's good here, but he's nothing like he would uh, become. And like I said, this is where he's still kind of coming into his own. And, uh, you know, he would become one of the greatest ever. And as I said, they had brought him in. He was going to be uh, managing Jesse Ventura, and that would change because Jesse had those uh, blood clots in his lung, his lungs. So uh, they had to do something with him. So this was kind of what the angle they had working. So... Bobby says, you know, we're going to have to hurt Andre. Now, Ken Patera, if you remember, uh, it wasn't, this was not uh, too long before he would have an incident take place after a a house show, after an event where he went to a McDonald's late at night and wanted to be served and they refused to serve him. And he ended up putting a rock through the window of this restaurant. He was, uh, you know, cranky about not getting fed. And so they would track him down at his hotel and uh, he would end up assaulting these police officers who tried to arrest him. It was a, some, it was a major big fight, which I think Patera handled himself very well. But that, of course, as you can imagine, doesn't go over well when you mess with the police. And he would end up serving time in prison. Wouldn't come back to the WWF until 1987. And, um, you know, fortunately for him, Vince... Vince took him back. But uh, John Studd here, not, you know, not the greatest uh, at delivering a promo. And he uh, really keeps messing with his hair there. But um, this would be a a storyline that they would keep going. And uh, as I mentioned, this was all about them cutting Andre's hair, which... I don't know if that ever had happened before. So it was kind of a big deal that they would, uh, kind of an interesting way to to move this along. And uh, Vince talking talking about here that, uh, you know, why did it take two of you to take on Andre? Shouldn't Big John Studd have a a one-on-one match with him? So... And that uh, John Studd had tells uh, reminds Vince that he had ven- bench pressed seven hundred pounds on the set at uh, TNT. Wow, that was I uh, wonder uh, how much of that weight was the the real deal? Was that a shoot? But uh, I, he, I I have no doubt in my mind he was pretty uh, massively strong individual. So you see, you're listening to Bobby Heenan here, and it's uh, it's just cool to see him do these uh, these bits because I just think about what uh, he would eventually do here in the WWF, and, and it's just cool to see how he's kind of still finding his way, still uh, you know looking uh, to to see how he would fit in here in the WWF and. It had to be a little bit unnerving him coming in uh, with one thinking he was going to be doing one thing, and then they they put him with in a whole other situation. But you know, he's a professional. I'm sure that uh, he adjusted and said no problem because that's the way Bobby was. He could work with anybody. So good to see here. Good to fun. It's fun to watch. And this is before like the he didn't have the the big flashy jackets, but he's uh, you know 
He's got the double-breasted suit, which was popular at the time. So he's he he, he gets called out here, but that uh, Vince asks him to you know re- respond to being called the weasel. People calling him a weasel, but he's uh, going to remind everybody here. No, no, he's, he's no weasel. It's they're jealous and they don't understand that he's really he's the brain. He's the brain. Yeah, he's the brain. Yeah. And Vince uh, mentioning his skills outside of the ring. Boy, this is a stretch. The, you know, they're talking about he he knows how to cut hair. So, <laughs> and this coming up, folks, is just oh my god, is this cringeworthy? And I don't know where they got this guy, but it's just just. Uh, Memorable television, I'll put it that way. Is they uh, they take another break here, but man, it is uh, cringeworthy television. As we come back, and Vince uh, off the set here, and he's got a uh, stick, and they've got a barber shop set up. This is uh, before Brutus the Barber Beefcake, of course. So the barber is going to be the brain. But this segment, God, I don't know how long it goes on for. I, I have to kind of measure it. Let me see if I can do that. But let's see. It's, uh, it goes from uh, 12 minutes all the way, 12 minutes until, boy, 12 minutes. Oh, my goodness. This thing. Yeah, this this segment right here is like 10 minutes long. <laughs> and, and it could have been. About three, I think, as they strap this guy in. Of course, they want somebody with some long hair and a beard. That's the real deal. He's got kind of the uh, Abe Lincoln beard thing going. He's got no mustache. But Bobby uh, reminds uh, Vince of what a great stylist he is, that he he taught Joe Bear, who uh, I guess at the time was a a well-known stylist in Los Angeles. And I think Bobby Heenan always billed himself as being from uh, Beverly Hills. So, of course, that would be the reference of why he knew these very famous people in uh, Los Angeles. And they they put this uh, schmo in a chair. You know, that's funny because, Vince, I'm surprised the whole suit isn't purple. It's just the jacket and the vest. So this was before he went full on with the three-piece suits with all the uh, the multicolors. So uh, that was uh, that was a big part of his. He would go through these phases. That one lasted a, a very long time, and then of course he would go to the remember the Zubas when they were uh, pushing the Zubas, the uh, but they you know their own kind their own brand of those. He would wear those uh, Zubas outfits for a long time. He liked that because you know it show, showed off his physique a little more. But uh, he really loved the three piece suits, and the louder the better. So they they uh, they get a rope, and they tie this guy in the chair with a rope. I don't know. I guess so he couldn't escape. But boy, did they! I, I don't know if they said, "Guys, we got to go ten minutes here." But my God, did they stretch this thing out forever? 
So it just uh, just keeps going and going and going. As Bobby starts to tease this guy's hair and you know gets it to all stand up. But they would, you know, they get into it here. They're gonna have they got clippers, they got scissors. And Big John Stud, okay, you know, letting everybody know that he can chat. Patera getting, you know, playing the heel here. I'm like, this guy, man, I, I don't know what they paid him, but it wasn't enough. Whatever it is that they said we'll give you to go let them. But he does, he's, a, he's the worst ever, like no sell. Like, even when things start to go crazy, he just uh, just sits there. I mean, you, you, if you were uh, anybody in your right mind, you would have been, you know, at, at least selling a little bit here. You know, I got to get out of here. This is crazy. I'm tied to a chair, but. Uh, as you'll see, he just sits there the whole time, as the, no matter what they do to him. I don't know what direction he got, but it would have been nice to at least added that element to it. But uh, as Bobby, you know, goes on here and and uh, totally, you know, teases the guy's hair up so they can cut it, and the guy knew it was coming. Maybe he just decided it was time to get rid of the the moss on top. And uh, then Bobby says, you know, guys, I, I, I'm being so selfish here. I should let you guys do it. You guys should be the ones doing this. Uh, so what should unnerve the guy even more? Because you're going to have a giant and uh, some massive bodybuilder guy uh, cut your hair. Uh, as they start cutting with scissors here, I would be, this is where, I honestly God, I would be shoot nervous that one of these guys would, cut a piece of my ear off because they're, they're not, not exactly gentle and especially big John stud here. But, you know, look at this. I mean, I would honestly, I would be worried that I was going to lose part of my ear. Yeah. He's even told them, watch it. And they got all these, you know, clippers and everything going. You see Abe Lincoln just sitting there. And I told you that uh, you know, Andre did not like Big John Stud, and uh, there's uh, many a story where he would go out there, and Andre would just beat the living daylights out of him. Because if if uh, Andre laid it in, you uh, you felt it, and even somebody the size of Big John Stud, and there you know, were points where he would just run out of the ring and run into the back and <laughs> disappear because uh, Andre would just be so stiff. And there's nothing, there wasn't a damn thing you could do about it. You just hoped you got him on a good night where he wasn't uh, cranky or you hadn't done something that pissed him off. As uh, they start taking this guy's uh, locks away. At this point, uh, this is when, you know, but the guy... this is this is fine, but when they start doing all the other crap to him, you would you would think that he'd start getting uh, you know selling it a little bit. But I guess maybe they just told him to just uh, just take it, don't don't do anything. And Stud says, "Oh, this is only my second owning because the first one was when they cut Andres." So there you go. 
Oh, they decide that, uh, you know, he's going to need some a beard trim as well. See, they wanted, yeah, they wanted the guy to have a beard too. So, you know, like I said, this thing just goes on and on. I mean, we're, what are we? That's only, we're only like a couple minutes in. (laughs) I guess we're like four or five minutes in. But my God, I mean, right? Am I wrong here? I mean, come on. You enjoying this? Uh, uh. But Tara say, you know, give us a break. We, we, the, the finished product is going to look awesome. awesome. You, you wait until you see. Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, I would imagine the first time, like no matter who you were, that uh, when after you got done with this, I don't know if they had somebody in back who could help, you know, at least so you could leave the building and not look like, uh, you know, Somebody who'd been in prison for years or something. I'll give him a little beard trim. And this guy's got to be just thinking like, what the hell? Whatever they gave me, I just want out of here. Oh, but pal, guess what? It's going to get a lot worse. A lot worse because... Uh, uh, then they got to bring in that the guy's infested with something lice or fleas or something oh jeez oh now now the, he shaved the guy's eyebrow that's yeah that they see now that's that's where they kind of went i don't think they told him that they were going to shave his eyebrows and uh if you know uh that was one of the one of the ribs back then is that they would uh they would uh you know if you fell asleep on a plane or something they would shave your eyebrows or at a party or something. And so the guy uh, is going to leave that stage uh, minus his left eyebrow. And then they've got running water on this set. And Bobby just puts shampoo on. And then they just got to water. They got to hose him down completely. So, like I said, whatever they paid this guy, I mean, he's got to be thinking at this point. But he's not even selling it, really. You know, like, wouldn't you be, you got to have him like, he's. I got to get out of here, but nothing. He just sits there and takes the whole thing. And uh, now they're having fun. They just uh, put this all over the guy. And I'm sure this wasn't what he was told was going to happen when he was out there. But you got to sell the gimmick. And you can hear Alfred laughing off uh, offset there. But they uh, they just they just keep finding new things to mess with this guy. Nobody knows what that is, but uh, this guy more water. It's like he's getting waterboarded. Oh my god! And the guy doesn't fight. He's just taking it. You know, like this is no. Do you talk about a no sell? And then Bobby says, uh, "Hey, you get a free comb." <laughs> he does it. Uh, and then they uh, they got to finish it all off with some, as they called it, uh, you know, talcum powder. So, uh, and uh, there you go. And the guy's just thinking, is it over? Is it over yet? There they go. Yeah. Uh, so nobody was going to, you know, uh, allow somebody to go out there, some 
some mark who's not going to go out there and not really, if whatever you, you get paid, that they're going to, yeah, he's like, let me out of here. And now he finally decides he's going to run. Oh, my God. Okay, that's more classic television from uh, Tuesday Night Titans. As uh, now Bobby says, hey, no, you're next, Vince. And uh, we can't wait for this. Hillbilly Jim. And that uh, we talked, I talked about uh, that this vignette. Now, this vignette coming up that they're going to show you is uh, Hillbilly Jim visiting his grandma. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's in the hills of Kentucky. And uh, he calls, uh, you know, Jim here, you know, one of the, one of the extraordinary athletes entering the World Wrestling Federation. Yeah. As Vince says, oh, we're going to take you to the hills of Kentucky. And this is a very bizarre vignette that they do here, especially when they bring the dog in, which is just really kind of creepy, kind of crazy. And here it is. And kind of like this house is tilted. Did you see that when they <laughs> showed the All right, so uh, Hillbilly Jim visiting his granny, and he goes into the kitchen, and look out, isn't that weird? Like, they have a fireplace, but they have a stove in front of the fireplace. And this is a this is a legit place. I don't know where they found it. But uh, Hillbilly talking about he likes to go in when he's getting ready to work out, and he's going to, uh, he, he likes to heat the room up so it's nice and hot. So uh, he's got to show off the physique here. He takes off uh, his shirt and then uh, got to get the overalls stay on, though. You do, you do everything in your overalls, apparently, in the hills of Kentucky. Uh, that strap's not going to work anyway. Nice nice try. But uh, he's, he's going to show us his, uh, his workouts, and this involves a tire, of course. Why wouldn't it? And this gives him uh, where he can practice, you know, putting on the headlock, Okay, but then it gets even worse here because he's going to demonstrate like how he practices dropping an elbow or a knee and he uses an old mattress and look at this mattress. This had to be, it's, it's like, the, it's a soiled mattress that they had to find in some dump or something. Look at, I, I wouldn't even want to go near that thing. You, you got to be uh, deloused when you get done doing this as he shows how he drops a knee. Now, this is where it gets really kind of weird. This is bizarre. He talks about, you know, this is how he practices on the dog. And he, he gets the dog, and then he wraps a leg. <laughs> Come on. Now, that is, and then and Granny's like, what are you doing? You get off that dog. <laughs> and that is one, that's one docile dog. I mean, that dog didn't move. He's just like, yeah, that's what you call a porch dog. But he's just like, whatever. Well, that's what they do here in the hills of Kentucky. <laughs> but we've been invited to uh, invited to the table with Granny and the rest of them. Wow. 
So that was uh, that was a classic vignette, wouldn't you say? Uh, that involved Granny uh, in a, in her uh, rocking chair and uh, weird positions with a dog. But uh, ooh, uh, and I love Alfred says they're they're a special people, <laughs> special people. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Oh, this is. Uh, it gets weirder, folks, as we as I, I talked about before we got into uh, seeing this thing, that uh, Butcher Paul Vachon had come in to work with the World Wrestling Federation. They didn't really know what to do with the guy. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that when they, when they come back here. But uh, Butcher had was part of the Vachon family, and, uh, you know, he, he would— him and his brother were a tag team at one time. Those before uh, Mad Dog had lost his leg, uh, I believe, in a motorcycle accident. But just very strange situation with this wedding, I guess, that taking place. He comes out as like this mild-mannered guy in a, a Mr. Rogers sweater to talk about this wedding. And uh, as David points out in his notes that when they brought him in, they really didn't know what to do with him. So um, they had, uh, you know, the the whole thing with the Vachans that David points out that a lot of time, at this point in time, you know, Vince was just trying to get, uh, trying to mess, I guess, with the, some of the um, promoters out there that had these territories. And they, you know, it wasn't necessarily that Vince valued these talents, bring them in, that he thought they were going to do a lot for his business. But it was kind of twofold. This way he could show these uh, these promoters like Vern Gagne that not only could he get these guys, you know, that he had that kind of power, but that, uh, you know, he'd bring them in and that, that he could lure them, you know, take anybody he wanted was basically what he was showing them. Uh, and then he would bring them in, not necessarily do anything with them. But I guess it was a chance for these guys to pick up better money than they were making for whatever period of time and before he would send them on their way. But this was just a kind of classic example. You would see these events throughout the history of the WWF, WWE, where it was just madness, whatever it was. They'd have these elaborate sets they'd put together. And then like this thing, the whole gimmick of this is they're trying to do this this wedding, and there's Howard, which I, I, don't, I guess he's just there to hold the microphone. And you've got George Animal Steel just wreaking havoc throughout the entire ceremony. And... Like he goes over at one point, he starts trying to take off her dress and he's, you know, he's messing with her veil there and they just keep going and they're going to show a shot here of the crowd and you're going to be able to see who's in there and, and classy Freddie Blassie's there and uh, you've got uh, Lou Albano. I mean, it's the, the cast of characters. See, there you go. You get, a, you get a look of who they've got there. I think there's like, is that honky tonk on the right side? I don't know. But anyway, see, he, he like messes with her dress and he just keeps tearing things apart and grabs the candles and it just goes on and on to, in the circus here. You've got a little person there. You always got to always had to have a little person to add a little more to it. 
uh, the craziness and the insanity as this guy continues to try and keep reading and Howard with a straight face there. <laughs> you know, so he just like shoves him with the stuff, knocks over the the trellis there. And we finally get them to the point where they are pronounced man and wife. And we the traditional hug. There's no kiss. And David Schultz comes in and starts messing around. And Jesse, Jesse gets in there too. And we're going to get a, he's going to body slam uh, Paul Vachon on into this, this small ring that they can, uh, can put together. They had put together for this, but yeah, as Vince said, complete mayhem, which that's all that you needed to have to make it work. You just needed chaos and every one of these, whatever you try to do an event, that would never change. Right. Oh, that wasn't honky tonk I saw over there. I don't know, but but uh, is at the time. Look at and and Freddie, Freddie, trying to lift up the woman's dress, which he probably he'd be charged today. And they get back, and then uh, Paul Bashan is is in in the studio here. And I don't know if the sweater was to make him seem kind of unassuming, but he's uh, going on to tell Vince that you know things ain't going so well with uh, with the with the bride. Well, yeah, he's just saying it's, it's, things ain't great. That uh, he had, you know, made all these big plans for them to go uh, to, uh, you know, on their honeymoon. He wanted to go to Africa or maybe even Canada. And uh, the bride wanted nothing to do with that. She wanted to go to Hoboken, Hoboken, New Jersey, which is just, you know, it's like an old joke. That town, no matter, you know, if you wanted to talk about a bad place you'd go somewhere, it'd be Hoboken, New Jersey, which... Turned into a very, very nice little uh, city outside of uh, Manhattan. But at the time, you know, Hoboken, it's funny. It's a funny word, Hoboken. As he goes on lamenting how things just haven't gone all that well. He doesn't even know where his, his bride is. But he's kind of in there, Reverend Lipschitz, as he talks about, uh, who conducted this <laughs> ceremony. <laughs> uh, told him, you know, it's for better or worse. So he's in. He's all in for this. Yeah, he's saying, I haven't seen her. The last thing he heard is that she had run off with Lou Albano. <laughs> Which, uh, given the choice, uh, I'm not quite sure what you would do. All right. Ay, ay, ay. But uh, just uh, purple was the theme, boy. Look at all this purple. We got purple sweater. How do you like that? You go to one camera, it's purple. You go to this one, it's blue. Right, watch, watch when we go to the wide shot again. That, that's purple. Maybe it's like, maybe it's one of those, uh, you know, like the, the different colored dress that they had that everybody couldn't, it looked one color to one person. Ah, we digress. As we take a break, and there he is, Jesse Ventura. As uh, we're going to get ready to take on the final segment here of this Tuesday Night Titans. You know, uh, there's a there's a segment they're going to show here, and Jack Reynolds, who is his co-host on Primetime, keeps saying Ventura, and I, I I don't understand why they would record something or he was his partner. See, listen, listen to him. You'll hear him say it. 
So that was Jack Reynolds, the guy that they uh, did some announcing for them. He was long gone by the time I got there. So this is when and he talks about Wendy Richter here, but I want to hear, you know, this Jack Reynolds call, keeps saying Jesse Ventura. Vince says it right. I know he went by Jesse Ventura. But as we would see that uh, him and, and uh, Vince and, and Jesse would become a, a pretty good announced team, a great announced team. And I told you many times, you know, I like them together. So uh, th- this is a point in time, like this is the transitional point where Jesse is uh, not going to be in the ring anymore. I think Vince sees the potential that he could be a good announcer, but they don't know. I mean, this could have gone either way. And I'll tell you, at this point, he's not great. He really isn't, as you'll see in this. And I I told you before, like we saw Bobby, but Bobby was uh, further along in in his greatness uh, than Jesse was here. You know, he just—he's not as uh, you know the the zingers and the and that sharp wit uh, wouldn't wasn't as quite developed as uh, he had, and maybe a lot of it was you know he would just become more comfortable in that role. So um, you can see, and he stole a lot of this from superstar Billy Graham. That's what you know. Uh, superstar had a lot of the stuff with the you know the stuff that he would wear. But Jesse took it to a whole new level with the you know the headdresses and the glasses, and then he would of course always put something in that uh, that cleft in his chin. That uh, uh, not quite sure what's going on with this one, but here's that match I told you about at the top of this. Uh, you now that's of course is Vince, but listen here's 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 Gene coming in. And you know, you can, you can tell right away, right? It's Gene. Yeah. And so this this was a gem. I mean, really, to find this uh, in here was, a, to me, was a, it's a gem. Because you see, uh, I, I had not seen Jesse in the ring many times. Uh, this is the point where he's, uh, you know, his career is is definitely winding down. He doesn't have the, uh, you know, the chiseled physique that he had earlier on. Uh, he's got the rainbow thing going on with the hair, and and Steve Lombardi, uh, you know, this was a long time ago. This was very early on in his career with the WWF, and he would end up, you know, spending decades with the company as he became, uh, you know, the peak where he would become. Uh, the Brooklyn Brawler, but, you know, a true enhancement talent. And you know my feelings on the difference between that and a jobber. And also really uh, interesting here, look who the referee is with a uh, kind of a Beatles cut going. I don't know what what, uh, Danny Davis has got going on, but see, look. 
That's Danny Davis. Uh, who's the referee? And just, you know, like some simple stuff. I've always, I've always heard that Jesse was not the greatest ring tactician, I guess we could say. But he definitely, he was, he was great at cutting a promo and uh, knew how to get attention and knew and was a great heel. As Lombardi uh, mounts a bit of a comeback here with a couple of big rights across the uh, shoulder blades and then drives one to the midsection. Is that headlock to drive a shot right to the forehead of Jesse and another one. But, you know, of course, this will be short-lived. Another forearm kick to the midsection. But, of course, uh, you know, all right, that was good, kid. Now it's over. Sets him up on top of the turnbuckle. A little shot to the midsection, the bread basket, as Gino would say. Elbow to the back of the head, and it's time to wrap it up. Elbow right to the uh, the chin. Big elbow to the chest, and of course, that was just too devastating. And there's the bell. And calls Vince Jack, Jack McMahon. Put makeup. You ask him what's in your what's in the cleft of your chin. They uh, see, like Jesse just isn't as sharp here, and and I it would change. And, and uh, Lord Alfred Hayes says his hat looks stupid. And the only comeback he's got there is you're going to need a new co-host. Uh, as that would change much later on, that Jesse would really become one of the premier announcers in uh, in wrestling. But here he's not there yet. And, uh, you know, like we said, this is a transition for him. And uh, he talks about, like, he, was, he wants to get uh, Hulk Hogan. But as we mentioned earlier that uh this is where you know that would never happen because and pretty much his career is over i don't know what with this with this album maybe david knows more about this he didn't mention it in it but it's just this jesse the body ventura 45 rpm play loud <laughs> i don't know if that was an actual record maybe if, or if that was something made in props but we should check out check that out so See, he's cutting his uh, he's cutting his promo there. So that was uh, Jesse, and uh, you know, I that's why I really enjoyed uh, this episode because, as I mentioned, you're seeing these guys really develop, and Jesse, uh, you know, what he would eventually become. He calls Vince Jack again just to get under his skin. And now it's like maybe, you know, during the break, he said, I, I've got to come up with a better singer than that. He said, it uh, looks like you got herpes simplex. And, and <laughs> Alfred says, no, 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 it's it's a cold sore. It's just a cold sore. Ay, ay, ay. 
I can't wait for that. Granny Kim is going to be on the next show. And uh, hit it. Let's wrap it up. And this is also another part of my, uh, another favorite part of my, uh, of watching these shows because the, the credits, you had Vince and Lord Alfred Hayes. And then it says Nelson Swegler, who's been a guest on the podcast who did it all back then. But there's Kevin Dunn. He was a, an assistant director then. And Kerwin Silfies was the director. So, uh, Still some names still associated with that. And how how it would how the world would change with those guys. And uh, it's a production facilities, Video One, Inc. And that was in uh, Baltimore. Video One was where they shot everything. And they did a lot of those early uh, updates. And uh, that's where they did them. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that. That was fun. I, I love watching uh, that one because there's just so much, so much going on uh, that uh, we saw in that uh, with, uh, at the time with the WWF or 1985, there was just uh, so much uh, you know, starting to come together for them. They were really getting a lot of attention. And of course, it would uh, really take off a few months later. This was in January, January 25th, 1985. And then of course, in May, that's when they would have WrestleMania, WrestleMania 1, and then the world would change forever. I mean, in the world of professional wrestling, uh, just uh, was never the same again, and it was all for the good as far as it went for, um, you know, everybody. The talent, uh, the companies, uh, the company went, uh, you know, just crazy as they rode that wave. And it's, we've seen it. It it is like the ocean, man. Sometimes you've got these big giant waves that's taken off, and then that's just... uh, uh, it crests and then it goes down and we would see that happen uh, after the uh, in the early 90s and then of course uh, peak again with the Monday Night Wars and uh, they'd ride that for a while and then there'd be another dip and it just it just keeps doing that um, and uh, you know just seeing the personalities in this as uh, we saw uh, throughout this episode I mentioned Ken Patera and what uh, he had, uh, I think he's got a book coming out, but uh, he's such, he's a really interesting story. I mean, just uh, what, you know, he would end up uh, doing and, and the, that incident that happened at that McDonald's and actually had to go to prison. But uh, Vince, you know, took care of him um, and uh, put him back to work when he came out. And uh, he certainly had a, he had a, uh, a good career. So uh, uh, as I mentioned also the, that what was happening with Tuesday Night Titans and Primetime Wrestling, they didn't really know what to do with these programs. Uh, I don't think Primetime was working too well with that combination of Jesse and Jack Reynolds. And then they would bring in uh, Gorilla Monsoon and while, uh, you know, uh, while Jesse was, um, um, well, they would be teamed up for a while with Jesse, but then Jesse would go off to film the movie Predator and then they would they brought in a bunch of different people, which uh, you know, uh, such as Jimmy uh, Mouth of South, Jimmy Hart, and then eventually they brought in Heenan, and that's that's where the magic happened. And I I don't know over time, you know, how long it took 
for them to you know realize man these guys are are magic together i imagine it didn't take long because of uh you know they were just the perfect match here you had uh, gorilla monsoon who was you know this gregarious uh, very outspoken very opinionated um you know uh, knew the business everything about it and you got bobby heenan coming in who you know would steamroll everybody uh, with his wit and uh, his sharp tongue and he would get away with that to a point with Gorilla, but then Gorilla would, uh, you know, he'd go too far. He would, you know, always he'd just go too far, and then uh, Gorilla would just shut him down. And it was just not only because he could do it with his words, but there was always that threat of physical violence that you know that um, Gorilla could squash the weasel if he wanted to. And uh, so that's that's why I think that works so well, besides, uh, you know, that they would... Uh, uh, be able to be such a great announce team together. But also at the same time, you know, Bobby could genuinely make Gorilla laugh at, during broadcasts. That was fine. That worked. So, you know, it wasn't this combination that it was always babyface heel, babyface heel, because especially during uh, like primetime, when you actually got to see them on camera and how they interacted together, that, you could see that that genuine uh, that gorilla got a kick out of him, and that was that was fine. But he was always, you know, the point that he would let him go to a certain level or set him up. But you always knew who was going to lose in that situation, and it was always Bobby. And uh, he was uh, he was just they were just so good at it. And uh, when he had that, uh, when they split them up. It was it, 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 Bobby. It wasn't that Bobby wasn't good. He just was better with with Gorilla around him. When they, when it was, it reminds me of the great comedy teams. You know, Abbott and Costello, and you know, uh, that's they had. You know, this, the 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 guy that could with a straight man. I guess you'd call Gorilla, and then you had uh, Bobby. And uh, when Bobby was on his own, like for example, when they gave him that show on USA. It just it never worked because it he was the lead, it was up to him. He didn't really have, you know. They brought uh, they brought other people on there, uh, like Jameson. They had him as kind of a sidekick, but it was the dynamic was different, and they needed uh, they he needed somebody like Gorilla. He needed somebody to set him up, and he just never really got that uh, when, when he did that show. And then of course there were, they said there were other things that USA was upset by, but if that thing would have taken off, then they wouldn't have been able to stop it. But, uh, the two of them together and thank God that's the way it happened because primetime wrestling was, you know, look how many years it was on those two. Uh, let's see. Uh, also wanted to mention that that show, um, let's see that, uh, they'd had, they actually taped it the Friday before that. Um, was on a Friday because uh, that's when it was taped, January 25th, but that uh, tu- the uh, it actually aired on Tuesday. But that wasn't unusual. They did that a lot of time, a lot of times because, you know, that's when it aired. Um, so they, uh, they uh, you know, would go on to, for many years, and Tuesday Night Titans would eventually go away. Uh, so there you have it. It was uh, really great watching. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, as I said, it's always, it's so bad, it's good. And uh, I hope that uh, you get a, get, get a kick out of these as much as I do uh, watching these guys back then. 
because it would become a pretty well-oiled machine as they went along. And you saw this in their production all the way around uh, that, uh, you know, that it, it was pretty basic back then. And these, these skits were, you know, pretty awful in many cases, but it would just keep getting better and better. And uh, it's just fun to see the early days of, of all this happening. And uh, about, you know, in a few years time, like when I came in in 87, that's when Vince started bringing in, you know, people from the outside. Vince knew that if I'm going to improve this product all the way around me creatively and production wise, and I can't depend on, uh, you know, people from the world of professional wrestling. It's just not going to happen. They don't have the experience and, and, you know, production of, of wrestling at that point uh, pretty much existed with the studio shows and in small arenas that were just dark and, you know, dingy. And, uh, you know, they'd have the, the ring in the center with lights all in the ring and the audience wasn't lit up. And that was all about to change. But in order to do that, Vince would have to bring in people, you know, he'd bring in people from the outside network, people from the networks. And, uh, if, uh, you, you know, be sure and catch, if, um, the, the episode of uh, primetime this week, because I have, uh, John Filippelli on. And for those of you who really know your stuff, you know, who John Filippelli is. You know, John came in, for a brief period of time, for about two years. And he was, uh, you know, from the world of uh, network television. He had worked with NBC and uh, was very well-known, very successful, producing uh, some of the biggest sports events, you know, World Series and uh, Championship Series and uh, with NBC Sports. And he had uh, become, uh, you know, known Vince. And Vince wanted to bring somebody in with that kind of, that level of... Uh, expertise. Uh, he had uh, worked with Ebersol before, Vince, you know, of course, with the Saturday night's main event that would go on. And uh, they started bringing in other people. And so they brought in John Filippelli and listen to that episode. You can get, really get some good insight into what was going on at the time behind the scenes, uh, behind the curtain, as we say, uh, with that episode of John Filippelli this week. So be sure and, and catch that. I don't know when you're listening to this, but uh, we'll have dropped that Wednesday or we'll drop this Wednesday, <laughs> whenever you're listening. But catch the episode with, with uh, John Filippelli. It's really interesting to talk about uh, what it was like at that time to work around Vince behind the scenes and what was happening. It's like a real power struggle going on with uh, that uh, universe of uh, uh, people that work with, with uh, Vince McMahon. So uh, check it out. Uh, you definitely uh, should, uh, should uh, listen to that episode if you uh, want to hear about what was happening at the time and also this big transition. All right. I hope you guys uh, check out our next one. Be sure and catch Prime Time with Sean Mooney this Wednesday and, of course, the Vault episode on Saturday. Uh, all kinds of content coming your way. But uh, for now, uh, thanks for listening. I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out. Take care, everybody. Oh,